Welcome to the Like Rare Art Lab podcast. My name is Chris Heine. And I'm Jenny Bookler. And this week we've got a recording of the artist lecture from Sam Bosma. Yes, so we invited Sam Bosma as well as guest artist Callie Seesmeyer for a two and a half day workshop about storytelling, creativity, and comics. So we just wrapped up the workshop. It was an incredible, incredible weekend full of inspiration and demos and lots of lectures by Sam. Um, so that Friday night, along with the Iceland Residency Exhibition, Sam gave a talk, a public talk, to about 60 or 70 people about his practice, some of his in-progress works, and what he is about to work on. So without further ado, we will let you hear the lecture. So thanks everybody for coming. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking to all you guys afterwards. But I'm going to go through a little bit about my sort of uh, history as an artist over the last few years. Um, I'll talk about my uh, my early work, where I am now, and sort of how I got there. Um, so to introduce myself, hi, I'm Sam. You can see that here. Uh, I'm an illustrator and a comic artist. I've worked for clients like uh, The New Yorker, Mondo, Simon & Schuster, Scholastic, Entertainment Weekly, Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, uh, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, etc. I'm a regular background artist on Steven Universe on Cartoon Network. I've had po uh, comics published by Nobrow, Simon & Schuster, and Casterman, um, which is a French publisher. And I've won the Spectrum Gold Award uh, in the editorial category, a silver medal in the Society of Illustrators, and an Ignatz Award for uh, Fantasy Basketball, which is a comic I put out a few years ago. Uh, but before all that, I was a student. And I was not a super good student. Or I was like a pretty good student, but really didn't have any idea of what I was going to be doing afterwards. Um, I focused on painting early on because I wanted to be like painters that I liked uh, because I didn't know a ton of illustrators that uh, my knowledge wasn't super broad and so I would find one that I really liked and be like, oh, okay, I'll do that, great. Uh, and that really didn't get me anywhere <clears throat> because I figured out that uh, it wasn't actually totally what I wanted to do. It didn't like fully click with me. And so as a student, once I would get to a point where I was pretty good with a typical, like with one particular medium, I would leave and do something else rather than sort of have to go from being okay to really good. Um, so my work was really all over the place as a student. And I never found um, a media that like felt right and felt versatile enough that I could do all the types of work that I wanted to do. Um, because not only the media was all over the place, but the tone of my work was all over the place. And I really had no idea what I was going to be doing with this stuff after I graduated. Um, I spent a long time trying to figure out paint, trying to figure out digital work, trying to figure out graphite work. I tried to ink things and sort of never found what I wanted to do. Um, and eventually I sort of just like hit on a weird sort of combination of pencil and graphite and digital. And I found a way where all of it went together on one thing. And I thought, okay, that's all the stuff I know how to do. I'm just going to put it together on one thing and we'll see if I can sort things out afterwards. So my goals after graduation, um, 
I wanted to get better at drawing. That's the one concrete thing that I knew I wanted to do. I wanted to get some work into the juried competitions because that was a marker of success, I thought. And as a student, I never got anything into the Society of Illustrator shows. And so that became like literally the only thing I wanted to do was like get into those shows because I was like, all right, if I get into those shows, that is my like instant key to success. Like that'll be it. They'll come with some sort of prize prob probably, I guess, I assumed, which is not true. Um, <laughs> And I wanted to make picture books, sort of, because I liked making pictures, and uh, that was it. Like, that was my, my whole idea there. Um, I didn't really want to do them for kids, and so I guess I didn't really have a demographic. This is as far as I'd gotten as a student into, like, knowing what I wanted to do. Um, and it wasn't great. And so when I came out of school... Um, I didn't realize that those types of jobs, like book jobs, were really difficult to get, and especially if you're right out of school, because it's a huge investment from the uh, from the companies. Like they would think, okay, we're gonna we're not gonna assign 20, 30 illustrations to someone who's just out of school. Then we need to see that they have like a reliable that they're reliable, that they can do all of the work, and then they can do it as, at like on our timeline. Um, and so I sent out for the jobs that I was able to get. I like sent out postcards, I sent out emails, all that sort of stuff that they teach you how to do. And the work that I got back was mostly alt weekly work, which is the lowest stakes of any potential job that you can get because these things come out every week and then they're gone and they usually give these papers out for free or super cheap. So it's not like they're you know burdened by having to sell a certain amount of copies so you're really not responsible for pushing the sales of these things um so the, these first few jobs are uh one for the boston weekly dig on the left uh the seattle seattle weekly in the center and then uh, one of a series of pieces for paste magazine um <clears throat> and these early jobs were nice because they were work and they kept me working um but I had a hard time with all of these things. And I didn't realize as a student that when an art director comes to you, you really have no idea why they came to you, like what they want your work for. You don't know if they want your, uh, your sort of color work. You don't know if they want your, uh, your like concept work. Like They'll tell you, we want you for this job. They won't tell you necessarily what they really liked about your work. So you'll just have to kind of guess at it. And I kept kind of guessing wrong. Um, and so my early work was not like the work that I wanted to make. And not only did I find that that's not the type of work I wanted to make, I found out that uh, editorial work, particularly, um, it had a lot of like, uh, there were a lot of difficulties for me on the back end. So these first three jobs, I ended up had, like really struggling with art directors. I struggled with accounts, you know. Um, but I hooked onto one particular client, which I really, really liked, which was Muse Magazine. And I got this job from speaking personally with the art director. And so I got a chance to actually like talk one-on-one -on -one so I could get to know him, what he was like, what he was interested in, and he could get to know me a little bit. Um, this job particularly I got, I think, on a Thursday, and it was due Monday morning, and this is like maybe a third of the work. 
And so he, the art director knew, first of all, like, I was kind of bailing him out because he didn't really have an illustrator at the time and he was just going to do it himself. And so I'd met with him and he was like, okay, uh, do you want to do this? And I had nothing else to do that weekend and I desperately, desperately wanted to work. So I just took it, assumed I would figure everything out and I did it and it wasn't like super great, but it was at least fun and the art director liked it. And because I did a little bit of a favor for him, he came back from me. He came back to me. And I kept working with this art director, and eventually through that, he kind of figured out the work that would line up with the type of stuff that I naturally did. So I would give him a certain amount of work, and he would sort of pick out things that it really looked like I was having fun doing, and he would tailor the, the work that he would give to me to you know, what I was most capable of doing. So I did this first uh, Muse magazine cover with like all these little weirdos, and he was like, okay, Sam likes drawing a bunch of little weirdos, which is 100% true. And so the next job he came back to me featured lots of opportunities for that. And this was sort of my first opportunity to like get to know what working with an art director on a long-term basis was like. And it was great, and I loved it. Um, and he, you know, I continued working with him for several years, but this also like had kind of a caveat, which is like, I knew from this particular client that I wasn't going to get paid for 12 months. That was like, I came out of school in 2009, which was when our economy was 100% in the toilet. And this publisher was just hanging on by a thread. And they sort of uh, told me right off the bat, we will pay you. And here is how much money we'll pay you. And it wasn't bad, but you won't get it for 12 months. So just hang on. <clears throat> hang on, hang on, hang on. I had no way of knowing whether that was true or not. But man, I really, I needed to get my student work out of my portfolio. Like it was just stagnating in there. And so I needed to do something. And this was as good as doing personal work at that time. Um, let's see. So these pieces ended up being skewed towards me from the art director. There's stories to be told. There's some fantasy work in there, which is more along the lines of what I was doing as a student. I was doing more narrative work, and I was doing genre work. Um, and so this was great. It was like my best work at the time. But the majority of the work that I was getting was still really dry stuff, you know, things that I wasn't, I wouldn't have drawn normally. This left piece was for a story about like a con artist escaping from like the law or like giving an interview which is cool but i didn't want to draw islands shaped like a dollar sign but the art director wanted me to draw that and so i did and it was awful the middle one is about offices which is fun because i get to draw a lot of stuff but if given the choice i'm not going to sit down and draw offices and the one on the right here is about like all the new tablets that were coming out in 2013, which is super riveting stuff that like, I, not for me, not for me. So in doing all of this work though, I kind of figured out my, um, my comfort limits kind of as an illustrator. Like I found out that I'm not super flexible with the type of stuff that I want to do or that I'm like okay with doing. And if things kind of push me into the zone where I don't really 
want to do the type of work, I feel uh, it becomes more like work. It becomes a lot harder. Um, and I feel like the work suffers for it because it's just not, it's not synced up with exactly what I want to do. Um, which is, makes me not a really great editorial illustrator <laughs> because you need to be able to, uh, to flex with, you know, whatever jobs come in. Um, and so between jobs, I needed to figure out how to put more work in my portfolio that was like the work that I wanted to be doing. And so it had to be, you know, narrative work. I wanted to put in more fantasy work. I wanted to figure out a, like a channel really for like where to go down in the future. So I would do group projects. I would do gallery shows. I would take on unpaid jobs if they sounded like they would give me a nice piece. Um, and I would do personal work. This first part is from uh, a project called a Picture Book Report, which uh, started in 2010, and it was started by Meg Hunt, who did this really beautiful puffin. Uh, and it features a number of other, of other illustrators who would pick a book from their childhood and then do a series of illustrations uh, about it. It's supposed to be 12 illustrations. I ended up doing six. I think that was on par with like the most anyone in the project ended up doing because everybody burned out because it's very, very hard to put like your heart and soul into a piece every month that you don't get any money for. Um, but what did happen, which was great, is that everyone sort of got like a little boost in visibility from this, from this project. Um, this was the first, uh, this was the first like, uh, a chunk of my work that got really nice like internet visibility um, which became really important to me later on for my for my career in general so I picked The Hobbit and I ended up uh, doing these six illustrations where I set out sort of goals for myself early on I wanted to double down on the process of the work and I wanted to really dig into the picture making I, I wanted to look at Golden Age illustrators I wanted to learn how their compositions functioned. I wanted to um, learn how to use color in a more efficient way. I wanted to sort of simplify the colors that I was using, but make them more impactful than before. Um, I wanted to make the work that I wanted to be, or that I would like to be known for, um, at least visually. You know, I wanted to do fantasy stuff. And I wanted to cultivate work habits. Like, I really needed to. Uh, get myself on track as far as the work that I was putting out, the amount of stuff I was going to do. And this was a great way to do that. And you can see all of the, I would do uh, like 30 or 40 drawings for each of these final drawings, all pieced together. Um, I went way far off the deep end of like what I needed to be doing, just so I knew what the outer limit was so I could come back afterwards. So like I said, I ended up doing... Um, six of these pieces and I really, I put an exhausting amount of work into designing things and then putting them together. And I think they ended up being, you know, really nice pieces for what they were at the time. So I'd sort of, I'd done a decent amount of real world work and personal work at the time. I'd gotten most of my student work out of my portfolio and through my experiences, um, I started to sort of ask myself more questions about my personal work and became kind of more introspective. And I was examining at the time, like, what kind of artist I was and what I liked to do most or what I liked about the actual process of working. Because I wanted to take those jobs that um, felt more like work 
and figure out how I could make them seem more like this personal work that I was doing to make the actual process more enjoyable for myself. So I figured out that the things I really liked about work, the stuff that would make the work not feel like work, was having the opportunity to draw the fantasy stuff that I like to draw. I really liked designing characters, environments, and props. I liked telling stories and images, and I liked just the physical uh, part of drawing. I liked to draw. I didn't necessarily like to paint. I didn't really like to render. I didn't really like to uh, put color down. I liked doing the line work. I liked doing the construction and the building. So I took that sort of bullet point list of what I like to do and focused on that. So <clears throat> I would give myself these uh, bullet points and go off them and try and make more pieces um, with that list in mind. Uh, this is another personal piece I ended up doing, or a free, a free job, basically, like a gallery piece. Uh, my work became sort of like m even more fantasy-oriented, and people ended up responding well to it. Um, I spent almost the entirety of my time doing this sort of personal stuff, trying to push stories through single images. Um, and eventually I would get jobs that reflected that. Art directors would see this type of work and think like, oh, we would rather hire Sam for this rather than the drawing about tablets. Like, this is much better. Um, so art directors who had um, who had room for fantasy work in their, in their projects would come back to me for that specifically. And they would tell me that. They would say, we really like this type of work from you. Great, let's do that. So you can see like it goes from early on to things that were like, had a fantasy bent, like this early stuff that just has like kind of like inklings of it, to later on where it's literally just like, I'm drawing giant monsters, I'm drawing like weird desert stuff. It goes way far into the, the genre. I'm drawing mushroom zombies, I'm drawing space like cosmic warriors, and then I'm literally just drawing a D&D party. So it went, it went like into the self-indulgent stuff pretty quick. But luckily people responded to it. And the picture book report gave me like a nice um, ground for an audience. And I sort of figured out that, okay, there has to be a chance. Um, maybe I'll get to that sort of stuff later, sorry. Um, yeah, like I was saying earlier, the editorial jobs, book jobs started coming in because they saw this sort of stuff and they wanted it for themselves. They wanted more of it. And that was great. And this sort of work led to um, my work in the animation industry, which came from this groundwork, or the, the groundwork that I put in to create an audience for my work. Uh, I'd spoken briefly with the art director for Steven Universe on Twitter, um, which was sort of my uh, platform of choice for talking to my audience. Um, and almost all of my followers came over the time that like I was working on all the earlier fantasy work. And it finally kind of paid off when I got a chance to speak with the art director of Steven Universe, who had seen my work and liked it, and then contacted me when they had an opening. When the, after the pilot sort of came out, uh, they, he came on board and needed a person who did line work and who did fantasy work and who could kind of vibe with what they were doing. And I took the job not knowing what it was going to be like, 
it was, I'm a background artist. Sorry. I should have specified I'm a background artist on Steven universe. I took the job not knowing really if I was going to be good for it. I sort of figured that I'm more of a character designer. This is not exactly really what I wanted to do, but it seemed like a really cool opportunity and man, it sounded a lot better than the editorial work that I was getting, you know, I don't want to harp on that tablet drawing, but man, I never wanted to draw. <laughs> I didn't want to draw that stuff ever again. So I got hired to do this Steven Universe work. I did a design test, which had me uh, given like a, a storyboard that I had to take to a final. And after getting hired on, I kept getting these episodes in, and I would do things like this sort of spike channel and this temple and these like crystally backgrounds and like dry ocean floors. And I, it's funny, like I would see the animatic for the show. None of the episodes had aired by the time I'd done like maybe 20 episodes, so I hadn't seen anything from the show aside from the pilot. And I would get all these episodes and I would go, okay, this is like another dungeon, I'm doing like a temple, I'm doing all this stuff. And so I thought, man, I'm going to love this show when it comes out. It's all temples and it's all dungeons. And I'm like, it's, oh, it's like, just like a, it's made perfectly for me. But what I found out later on was that I was the temple guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are episodes where they have to, where they spend the whole time in like a donut shop or they spend the whole time in like an arcade and I didn't see any of that stuff. I had zero idea what the whole show is about because I was the guy they came to when they needed like some weird cliffs or like when they needed like when they needed all these little like dungeons and temples and fantasy locations and so they even more so than the other directors like really skewed the work that they were giving me exactly to what I was good at which was I couldn't have asked for like a better thing at the time, you know. Uh, and it was great, and I really love working on the show. I'm still working on it, and I'm still I'm still dungeon guy. Um, I've gotten a chance to draw a couple of the like town locations. I've had to draw like their sort of house and some of the more domestic parts of it. And man, being a temple guy is like way better because <laughs> it's for me. Um, and that this is great, um, but in doing this. I was helping them tell their story, which was totally fine. I was, I'm happy to be a, a helper for that. But it wasn't my story. And the, uh, no matter how much work I put into it, it, it would never be my story. And so I, I really wanted to figure out a way to continue telling the stories that I wanted to tell. And so earlier on when I was doing single images, I would get people commenting on Twitter, emailing me, think, saying like, oh, I really loved, you know, whatever illustration. Is there like a story attached to it? And I would be like, no, it's, it's just the image. Like, it's just the image. And I took that sort of idea of telling these stories and I wanted to expand upon it. I wanted to spend more time telling the stories and I needed to figure out a way that I could do that. I grew up on uh, animation. I didn't grow up on comics. Um, I can't animate anything myself, though. And I grew up on video games, and I can't make a video game myself. And so I thought, all right, the one thing I can do myself is probably make a comic. I'd done a few comics before I started self-publishing them myself, and they were awful because I didn't know how to deal with them. 
I would think like, okay, I'm going to do a 10 page comic. There's, I don't know, five to eight panels on a page. So I'm doing between 50 and 80 illustrations. And that sounded awful. And <laughs> it was awful. And so the, I think I told Callie at one point, like, man, comics are bad. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them, and I don't want to do them. I don't know why anyone would want to do these things. And I've slowly figured out, like, why anyone would want to do them. <laughs> I'm still coming around to it. But um, I started publishing things in, let's see, 2012. And it started just dipping my toe into this, to this publishing um, world with this first book called Treasure Chest, which is now called Inventory, which was not a comic, which was a selection of fantasy and role-playing items, literally just like, kind of like design, design barf, where I was just, uh, I needed to get away from the editorial drawings that I was still doing at the time. And just like, I had all this pent up like fantasy energy in me that I needed to just get out. And so I would just draw like a hundred things. And this first part of it, treasure chest was a 24 page, little half, little quarter page size zine where I would draw 72 items and collate the pages uh, randomly so that each book would have a random selection of the 72 items. So you could pick up, uh, uh, yeah, uh, would have a 24 of the 72 items. So you'd pick up two books and flip through them and they would be totally different. Um, and that was super fun and like a great gimmick. Um, but I was collating these books myself by hand and it took forever. And I decided I didn't want to do that part either. Um, <laughs> you can sort of get at this point that like my career has basically been doing all of this stuff and then figuring out like, oh man, I don't want to do that one. I don't want to do that. That's not it. Just taking things off the table. Um, but I needed to do them first to figure it out because when I came out of school, like I said, I didn't really have an idea of really what I wanted to do. So I tried to do a little bit of everything and figure out which of it was definitely not for me to try and narrow down what was. Uh, and so I got into doing these comics, um, Fantasy Basketball, which won an Ignatz Award for Outstanding Artists uh, this past year, and The Hanging Tower, which came out later. Fantasy Basketball was a 40-page black and white story. Hanging Tower is 28. But Fantasy Basketball was done almost entirely out of spite. Um, <clears throat> I really, really love basketball, and I tweet about it pretty frequently, and people follow me for illustration, and they don't like basketball. And so, <clears throat> um, and so SBX is a, a convention we have in Baltimore. It's a small press expo, uh, and I'd gone to it to sort of visit with people and meet with people, and I met a lot of cartoonists and comic artists there, um, and it was great. And so I wanted to have a table there, and I wanted to have something to sell. I sold treasure chests uh, one year, and people would come by and, and buy it and flip through and be like, oh, man, this is really cool. Like, do you have any comics? And I didn't. So I, uh, when the, the next year rolled around, I wanted to make a comic. And I think it was I started this thing right after, I don't know, maybe the, the playoffs or something, and it was fresh in my mind that, like, people didn't want it. <laughs> They didn't want to hear about it. And so I, I, I was pretty certain that I could make a book that uh, would express what I really liked about basketball in a way that would 
keep people reading about it even if they hated the subject matter. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's a book about two um, adventurers raiding a, a temple, sort of like Indiana Jones style, and then coming up against the guardian of the temple who they try and fight, but it turns out he just wants to play basketball. That's his thing. <clears throat> uh, and then it turns into like a crazy action comic at the end. And it was really successful. It like, won an award and everything. Like I sold out of it at the show, um, and it was awesome. And Hanging Tower is a lot different. It's a Western, sort of like a slow Western. Uh, again, fantasy stuff. I wanted to draw a fantasy book, but I didn't want it to be Game of Thrones. Uh, I didn't want like a medieval-y fantasy thing. So I thought about what I like to um, consume and what I like to draw. I like to draw fantasy stuff. I like to watch basketball. I like to watch westerns. Like I'm interested in those other things. So I figured out what I liked about each particular part and linked them together uh, as best I could. And that brings me to the new book newish book, uh, which is called Fantasy Sports, Fantasy Sports Number 1, which is an extended version of Fantasy Basketball, which came about um, because Nobrow, the publisher, uh, had been sort of like hounding me for years back when I was doing editorial work and back when I was doing uh, the early sort of comics, which I was very bad at and didn't like making. They would say like, oh, Sam, we, you know, we'd love to do... They, they're uh, a UK publisher, so just imagine this in like a really like cool British accent. Um, Sam, like we really love uh, your drawings. Like, would you ever do comics with us? And I would be like, uh, maybe, maybe someday. Um, and then after I'd done fantasy basketball, they had picked up a copy and were like, oh, you did this. Can we just publish this? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, it's already done. Uh, that's like no more extra work for me. Like, just take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Just like take it. And so like I signed up for it and I said, yeah. And they, uh, they came back and were like, oh, great. Um, it's great. Like we really like it. We're ha really happy to publish it. Um, it's 40 pages. We needed to be 48 pages. Um, it's black and white. Also, we needed to be color. <laughs> so I was like, oh, <laughs> it is extra work. But in um, spending the time to work on it, I began to sort of figure out how to make comics in color, um, which is a thing I hadn't really done before. I did these earlier books in black and white because my very first comics were in color and they were awful to do. <laughs> and so I just focused on the drawing, the part that I like, the part that I can spend all the time doing and be really happy doing it. But in taking this on, I found out ways in which I could make this uh, not so grueling on myself and make it actually something that I was interested in doing. Um, so this is a book that comes out in July of this year. I'm already signed on for Fantasy Sports number two and Fantasy Sports number three. Um, <clears throat> and we've briefly discussed Fantasy Sports number four. <laughs> so as you can see, this, this, this uh, now I have an art director for this. So I went from doing these books because I didn't want to have an art director kind of like hanging over me. Um, and then eventually I got back into having an art director hanging over me. But <clears throat> it was on my own terms. They came to me because I'd had this book done. 
and because they liked the work for what it was. And that's all I wanted. All I wanted was to have the chance to do what I could do to the, to the best of my ability. And luckily I've been able to do that and I'm gonna continue doing that for at least a few more books. Fantasy Sports number two is coming out next year. It's about beach volleyball. Fantasy Sports number three comes out the year after. It's about mini golf. Fantasy Sports, <laughs> Fantasy Sports number four uh, will probably come out the year after. And it's about soccer, and I'm really dreading having to do it. <clears throat> this one is easy because it's basketball, and so you can simplify it to one-on-one. -on -one. Easy. I only have to design two characters. Uh, volleyball's pretty easy, too. You can simplify it to two-on-two, -two, just four. Still manageable. Golf, also one-on-one, -on -one, super easy. Soccer, 11 versus 11. <laughs> so I'm going to spend the next three years making that. Um, and uh, it'll be out, and I'm sure I'll be dead. Um, so I hope you guys like it anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Here's what we can do. We have some time to ask him some questions. Um, anything that you saw, anything you were thinking about, we'd love to hear from you guys. Sam will do his best to answer all your questions. Um, if you do us a favor and try and project, that would be amazing, because that way he can kind of uh, hear it. <laughs> that'd be ideal for me. That'd be great. Okay. Um, and then I'll let you know when we are running out of time. OK. Yes. What kind of process do you use to start um, well, it's mostly, it, it all starts from drawing. Like I'm, uh, I'm an artist first and a writer second. So a lot of the characters that I'll end up making stories about are ones that I'll do. Like I'll think, okay, uh, I sort of want to do a Western ish or I want, I need to make i I'm going to do a dungeon crawler or I'm going to do a basketball story. So I'll know like the amount of characters that I'll need. And so I'll just start like scribbling and try and focus on making them, uh, visually introduce, uh, vi visually interesting as well as like reproducible since I know I'm going to have to draw them a uh, hundred times a page for a hundred pages. That's not realistic numbers, but you understand. Um, and I try and focus on shapes that are uh, contrasting also to sort of push narrative through that as well as in like the actual writing of the story. So it's that sort of visual like visually interesting to you. So if it looks if it looks kind of strange, like you had mentioned, or if it looks kind of just fantasy enough for you, that'll grip you. For you, like when does like a personality come into I mean it comes in while I'm while I'm drawing it. I mean I c I can't I don't know. I'm sort of a slow a slow worker. So like I'll be uh I'll I'll start a design and kind of figure out what it's gonna be and then push what it's gonna be like halfway through it. Like my main characters for fantasy sports are like a little kid, which is pretty easy to design, and then just like a monster man. <laughs> so like the monster man will start uh will start like normal-ish, like regular sort of fantasy guy, and then even through the writing process things will change. Like um I'll be writing things out and then he'll kind of change as the writing as he progresses in the writing, you know. Um he became like a lot more apish as I was writing things because it called for more physicality 
And so his design became like more appropriate for that sort of stuff. You seem really specific about things that you like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the things that you like to watch or play? You said like animation, westerns, and yeah. What else do I like? I don't know. I mean, I like video games. I grew up on like Nintendo games. My my parents never bought any of those for me, and so they were like the number one thing I wanted to do because like I didn't have them. Uh, so I grew up on like. Like Zelda and Pokemon and like SNES era RPGs and stuff. Um, I got really into the uh, to the Souls games, like the Demon Souls and Dark Souls, and those started to become like really interesting storytelling devices for me because they they tell stories environmentally. Like they don't give you cutscenes, they don't give you exposition, they don't give you anything except for detail in the environments and detail in the characters. But there's a huge, rich story there, like, if you want to look for it, which is, like, really, really intriguing to me and stuff that I want to focus on moving forward. Uh, I really like, like I, I mentioned before, that I really liked uh, character design, but also environmental and prop design. And I made that whole book with RPG sort of gear uh, and made an effort to, like, tell a little bit of, of a story through just the items, you know? So I definitely want to focus on pushing that further into... Uh, my like fully narrative comics to sort of see as much story as I can possibly tell, you know, in the however many pages I'm working on. So now it's kind of like feeding comics as opposed to any other medium. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty focused on comics moving forward. Single images are are great, but making comics has lessened my patience for working on a single image for a certain amount of time. Like, it'll take me you know, a week or so to do a full illustration, like a full big illustration. But in that week, I could thumbnail, you know, like 20 pages of comics or like 30 pages of comics. So like just the sheer time that goes into them and the amount that I can do seems to push me more into comics. So you started writing these comics. Have you, do you get feedback on the writing? Are you a writer? I mean, are you writing all the future fantasy aspects or all the future fantasy? Yeah, I, I, was, I was really concerned about about that actually like <clears throat> I have a friend who is a who's a comedy writer but he's just he writes for TV and uh, does short films and stuff so he knows structural storytelling really well so after I'll finish a script like I'll run it by him and he's like one of the people that I really really trust his opinion on um, and I was worried going in with no brow that I was gonna have more of an editorial impact um, on the books like I was worried that I was gonna say like oh, I want the next one to be volleyball. And they'd come back and be like, how about baseball? Which isn't how it works. Like um, like I said, like they know what I'm good at and they trust sort of my instincts on it. Um, they'll give me editing stuff later on, like um, just like as much as an editor would do. You know, They don't really correct or, or push the work in any particular way, which is great. How much time do you spend consuming new media versus just drawing upon influences from, let's say, those video games you played growing up? Um, I mean, I have to continue new stuff. Though, like, when I say drawing upon influences of the stuff that I did or that I consumed growing up, like, that stuff is almost inex like inexhaustible for me, and it's not visual stuff. It's almost like how it made me feel as a as a kid. Like it's it's my, the emotional impact that stuff had on me. Like I'm I'm always I feel like for the rest of my life, like I can spend 
every book that I do, just trying to capture like the feeling I had, like going through like Pokemon Blue in like the first, like I don't know if I'll ever capture like how that made me feel exploring like this new world that I had no idea about about. Um, and so that the feeling there is inexhaustible. Um, and I'm always looking for that. Like, that's what I'm trying to get back in like new games. That's what I'm trying to make books about, like being able to sort of invest yourself in this new world and just sort of like explore it. As a person who loves to draw and then also do line work, I know eventually I'll have to render my characters and the stuff that I do. And for me, unfortunately, like painting and like color theory is my caveat. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there were like any specific like influences or like how do you process color, I guess? I'm uh, I'm getting married to Callie. Um, <clears throat> that's I would recommend that if you can <clears throat> if you can do that. Um, <clears throat> uh, other than that, I I try and keep things simple. Um, <clears throat> if you can't do that, and <laughs> if you can't do that, I try and keep things simple. Like I spend, um, you can see like through these particular pages that I'm uh, I'm showing you guys, the color scripts like are pretty simple. There's this middle page is almost exclusively like tones of green and then my because we're we're in like the enemies sort of zone here and i associate certain colors with my different characters so i decided my enemy was going to be primarily like greens and golds and black and then one of the foil characters for that my one of my protagonists is like red which is the, the obvious like complement to green so like those naturally are opposed to each other and so just by seeing the colors, like your sort of gut kind of gets it that these are not compatible, you know, and they like will contrast. It's mostly, it is mostly trying to simplify things. If I can do things in one color or two color, like that's a great start. Like it still looks good. Um, breaking things down. Like luckily I, I don't paint these, <laughs> the Steven Universe stuff. I only do the drawings for Steven Universe. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry that you guys came. <laughs> These are painted by um, Ellie Machalka and Jasmine Lai and Amanda Winterstein, who um, are better with color than like anybody, <laughs> except Callie. Um, <clears throat> So like I was saying, like they came to me and they were like, just draw these things. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> as long as I don't have to do the other part, like 100% great. Um, so yeah, I just, I spend the majority of the time on here, like just trying to make it hard for the people who have to paint it. <laughs> uh, with the, so many interests you have and different ideas, how did you keep yourself from getting distracted from uh, doing one idea then? Moving on to the next, like what was your main motivation? SPX was coming up. I needed something to sell. <clears throat> the SPX date wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> so I had a certain amount of time to do it. Uh, and I spent a long time figuring out what I was going to do and then gave myself like a really short time to do the drawings. So yeah, I'd just give yourself a deadline and make sure that there's no way for you to weasel out of the deadline. Because like I would 100% do that. Uh, I would just chip away at things forever if I if I had the chance. So I give myself, I have this much time to do this, and I have this much time to draw it, and then afterwards, it's done. That's it. Yes. Kind of along the same lines, do you work at a certain hours of every day? All of them. <laughs> I, my scheduling is really bad. Um, that's something, that's a challenge that I have to figure out.
But uh, when I was working on fantasy basketball for SPX, this I it's a 40-page story. I drew it in six weeks, and um, I worked probably 16 hours a day every day, except maybe like one or two of those days. Is that right, Callie? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you could also just move. Right. And so like, I'll spend these super long hours working on this stuff. So you can imagine how important it was for me to figure out like, what will make this the most comfortable for me to do? Like what sort of stuff that can I do that'll make this not feel just like a grueling torture chamber that I'm putting myself through. So early on, you're originally like starting out with editorial work. Did yes. you have a grueling day job? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't... Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, not grueling. Uh, I did comic book flats. Do you, have you guys... Um, and I did those between 40 to 60 hours a week um, on comic book flats. And... Uh, I really didn't like doing them, which was great because it was a bad job. Not, it, wouldn't, it wasn't the worst job you can do. It was like a totally fine job. But like I said, like there's a very limited range of the stuff that I really want to do. And so because that was something that I really didn't want to do, it pushed me to like get out. Um, and that just made me work harder on the stuff that I actually wanted to do. So I want to thank you, Sam, for all of your insight and all of your enthusiasm. <laughs> Thanks. thanks you guys for listening we want to offer a huge thanks to all of you who made it out to the opening reception of the iceland residency exhibition if you haven't seen it yet it is on the online shop right now shop.likeratlab.com as well on the website so you guys can check out all the pieces what's going on with the show um, but thanks to everyone who made it out for the big party and reception as well as the artist talk with sam a huge thanks also to sam and callie for coming all the way from new york for the workshop yeah and is there anything that we want to talk about that's coming up i know that game night is on may 28th from 6 30 to 9 30 p.m and the theme is future perfect so it's going to be all sorts of futuristic themed games whether it's flying in space hacking corporations all sorts of stuff like that Yes, so mark your calendars. It's this coming Thursday. Um, so the next thing that we have coming up, the next big exhibition, is actually July 3rd. Uh, we have the Patches and Stitches show, which features about 60 artists from around the globe who are making one-of-a-kind and original pieces. Uh, so the one side, the Patches side, is sort of the badass side with all of the limited color, handmade, hand patches, um, lots of embroidered things. Um, and on the Stitches side, we have lots of delicate beading, um, hand-sewn and stitched things that are all about sort of luxury and decadence and things like that. So we have both the sick and the sweet side of things. So uh, make your way out on uh, July 3rd, and that show also kicks off with an artist lecture from 7 to 8 p.m. with Tegan White. Uh, that whole weekend, she's going to be leading a two-and-a-half-day workshop where we go to Lake Maria State Park to explore, canoe, have a picnic, and talk all about creativity and inspiration. So that is on the shop right now. So just in case you guys want to check it out, I think there's just two or three spots left for that one. So mm -hmm. um, it's going really quick, and if you want to have a really fun 4th of July weekend full of new ideas, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, and you can find that and everything else on our blog, which is blog.lightgrayartlab.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Light Gray Art Lab. You can like us on Facebook and get invites and stay up to date there. 
You can follow us on Tumblr. We're lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. And, of course, we retumble all the upcoming work from shows, things in process, final pieces, all that stuff. So it's really fun to see all that. Um, you can subscribe to this show on the iTunes Music Store, stream it directly on Stitcher Radio, and I think that's about it. Yeah, thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll talk with you soon.